As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, boys, we expected or we thought we might see a center slash winger get traded with all the noise around JT Miller. And in fact, we did get a center slash winger that did get traded on the final day heading into the trade deadline here. Just happened to be Curtis Lazar. So bit of a surprise. There was a lot of smoke around this team. A very busy Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford for the last couple of days. You know, we had our emergency van cast a couple of days ago, or our emergency live room, I should say, when the team decided to part with a first and a second round draft pick in exchange for Philip Ronick. Uh, we had a chance to talk to him earlier today as well. But in terms of anything more than that, despite all the noise around JT Miller, Brock Besser, Thatcher Demko, Connor Garland, Ultimately, no moves of significance here in the final 24 hours. All of those players that we mentioned are still Canucks for now. And Lazar's the only one that's off the books. And we are still trying to make sense of what this whole thing has looked like. Because, you know, in reality, when we did this conversation a couple of days ago after the Ronick trade, we had said that, look, there's there's got to be more to this. There has to be more here. Uh, Patrick Alvin, who doesn't like talking to the media at the best of times, we wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, look, he wants to be judged on the totality of his work and wait for everything else into a final reconciliation of the the picks and the players and the assets and the cap space. And thud, here we are. All those guys are still Canucks. They're in a worse cap situation next year than they are this year. And they answered you directly today, Drancer, saying, we expect to be in the playoffs next year. Here we are, boys. Groundhog Day. It does feel familiar, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, and from my perspective, I've said to you guys before that, look, I want to judge this team based on their stated goals. And while all three of us think this should be a rebuild, not a retool, I'm not going to beat my head up against the wall with, with that line of, of, I don't want to say questioning, but with that just 
storyline, the topic, and it, and it going that way all the time, because I, I want to be able to gauge their moves independently based on what they think it should look like. And if this is what they think it should look like, 19 million in cap space these guys have brought in in the last year since they've taken over. 19 million in cap space. That's three and a half million more than what they have shipped out. And all they have to show for it is another top four defenseman. And you know what? I shouldn't say that because Kuzmenko has been good. Yes, he's been playing with Pedersen. You know, he's a five and a half million dollar player for the next couple of years. Um, you know, we're, we're probably going to regret this JT Miller deal for a long, long time. So I'm not going to view that as a net positive. But when you look at what's been added to what this roster looked like, it's it's just nothing that inspires a significantly higher level of confidence from us or the fan base. So, I mean, I first of all, I view this as just a continuation at this point of the same approach we've seen for the past decade. Like, there's nothing different. So... You know, I am going to judge them on their stated goals, but I can't help but see a recurrence of the same lines of thinking, even if they're sort of popping up in different ways that have effectively led us here. You know, this is, I've got a column that's going to get published at some point here shortly, but effectively I see the Vancouver Canucks as like a poker player that's on tilt. They've gone bust a long time ago. And they're just racking up debts because they refuse to at any point fold a hand, right? They're always going for it. Yeah, but can you, but but does this management team have to wear the mistakes of the last one from a cap perspective? No, 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 no. They they're making they're making totally new mistakes, and they're adding to the cap burden, right? Like no, but they're making they're, no, no, no. They're making far new on, mistakes far based on, on give the me same a theory. Give okay. me a sec. Seriously, they are adding to the cap burden. This is not just inherited problems, right? The JT Miller extension, the Kuzmenko extension, taking back Beauvillier, acquiring Heronic, like this team was not naturally, did not have to be the team with the single most cap commitments in the NHL committed for next season, despite being 27th in the standings. Like that is Rutherford and Alvin who have steered us here over their first cycle in charge. Like that is a massive issue. And for me, it's familiar because it's very much like this team's refusal to tank. Like it, this organization, for whatever reason, across multiple management groups, and it and it manifests itself in different ways, insists that they have some secret sauce that justifies behaving in a way that no other NHL team behaves in. Right. So the Canucks are six last in the NHL. The bottom five teams in the league averaged four point. Four, so four and a half draft picks acquired, additional draft picks required. The Canucks acquired one. If you look at the bottom 16 teams in the league, you're talking about those teams averaging two and a half draft picks added, which is more than usual because teams like Nashville in the middle of this, in the, in the thick of a playoff race, teams like Detroit in the thick of a playoff race saw the prices reacted, decided to sell in ways that sometimes teams in the middle don't. Like the Canucks bought from 27th. They failed to accumulate additional draft equity. They added cap commitments. Like none of this makes a a hint of logical sense. So while 
we can judge them on their stated goals. We also have to look at the behavior of other teams around the league and, and at least ask the question, like, what does this management group think they know that everyone else is missing? Right. And, and we're going to get a lot of the appeal to authority stuff. Like I've been getting it all day. People saying that I think I'm a GM or, you know, Rutherford and Alvin have the track record and they do look can, no doubt about it. But there are, you know, 15 other general managers unlikely to make the playoffs and none of them had a trade deadline like this. None of them toward the bottom end of the standings bought. None of them toward the bottom end of the standings didn't actively try to accumulate draft ca- draft equity unless they were the Montreal Canadiens and they'd already done so, right? Or the Philadelphia Flyers and we're not really sure if Chuck Fletcher was able to make trades anyway. Um, that to me is it like it's beyond baffling. It, it really rattles me. Like it's really just far too disturbingly familiar to what's come before it. Harmon, what's your reaction to the news that we've seen or the moves that we've seen over the course of the past month? Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, I could understand this a bit if they had found a way to clear a lot of salary first. And I'm talking, I'm not just talking about like at the deadline right now, I'm talking their bigger picture strategy because when Rutherford first took over in the December of 2021, this is before Alvin was hired, he, he was speaking about hey, one of my first priorities is I've got to fix this cap situation. And at that point, it was just the contracts that he had inherited from the last administration. And so about six, seven weeks ago, we heard him in the January press conference speak about the cap situation again and sort of acknowledging that, okay, this was a much more challenging uh, mess to untangle than we initially anticipated, which fair enough. He also added that in order for them to execute the the faster turnaround that they want to see this franchise through, that they still need like fixing the cap and carving out that flexibility is the key to that, right? Like go back to that press conference. I, I, I wrote an article in the aftermath of it. I wish I had the exact quote, but it's in there where Rutherford talks about until we get the cap fixed, we're not going anywhere, right? So... Now we approach this trade deadline, the biggest problem and the biggest question mark I still have is I don't know if they can fix this cap situation and they've decided to be aggressive in buying on, you know, Heronic before we know if they have the ability to move out the likes of Brock Besser, Connor Garland, Tyler Myers, all of these sorts of contracts. And it's just odd to me the timing of, of, of sort of seeing through this more aggressive turnaround before knowing if you actually have the the flexibility to successfully execute on that. So I want to add one thing to your take here, because I think you're sage. I think you're on point. The, I, I don't quite share your lack of confidence that they can figure out the cap space thing. I believe that they can, right? The problem for me is inevitably, right? Like you think about the price paid for Heronic, right? It's a big price. It's a painful price for, for a team that's in the circumstances that Vancouver is. They're not a rebuilding team. They should be a rebuilding team, but no, no matter what, bottom of the standings, 27th in the NHL by point percentage, you know, we can go over all the, the usual checklist things, right? Like poor prospect system, not enough talent, blah, 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 not enough tradable assets. 
they can fix the cap issues. It's just that it comes at a cost, right? Like if you buy out all of Reckman Larson, that helps short term. But what does it mean? It means dead space down the line, right? It limits your flexibility meaningfully going forward. You're effectively kicking the sorts of dead money that, that, that have troubled this team over the last four years down, you know, and, and with Oliver Ekman Larson's, you know, Oliver Ekman Larson's contracts case, like down the line, like a long time, like eight years down the line for the next eight years, you're dealing with a smaller pool of cap space than other teams. Um, you can trade some of the contracts that this management group hasn't to this point been able to trade your Myers, Besser, Garland types. If you attach Also, make trades for... Sorry, we can hear you for a second. Yeah, you were sorry. saying if you can attach and then you cut off. If you can attach sweeteners that this club can't really afford to attach, right? Or if they're willing to trade valuable players for suboptimal returns, a la Oliver Bjorkstrand for a third and a fourth, right? I mean, there are ways to shed cap space. It's just that all of those paths involve stealing from the future for the benefit of short-term flexibility now, like they're the, the act of going for it, the act of pushing more chips into the center of the table to continue my poker player on tilt analogy, right? Limits your stack. Like it limits your ability to meaningfully win. And so I sort of see this as the tip of the iceberg. Like I'm disappointed in the performance of the deadline, but I'm way more concerned as a result of it about the pain that comes next to build the sort of team where we can judge it based on, you know, the merits of their plan, as opposed to what this team objectively should do, which is looking a little further afield. All right. So let's, let's break this down or divide this up a little bit, because, you know, in terms of big picture analysis, I know we're going to weave in and out of that as we go for the course of this show for the next hour here. And also, if you want to get your opinion in and you want to be heard, please make sure you uh, get onto our stage, and we will get you on in the back half hour of this live room. But let's uh, break this down based on other elements. So I want to talk about JT Miller, and I want to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins, because there are conflicting reports um, in terms of what was offered or wasn't offered, and the level of interest, and different theories as to what's going on coming out of Pittsburgh. Obviously, JT Miller is from that area. Uh, you know, there were a lot of signs pointing to a possibility they might be interested in acquiring him. You've got Ron Hextall, their GM, that is very embattled right now in Pittsburgh for the lack of activity. Um, you know, they wind up getting Nick Benino to, to come back there. They wind up getting Granlund as well on a, on a big money deal. And at that point, we thought, well, how is that going to happen where J.C. Miller gets involved in all of this? Then there was a thought this morning that two first-round draft picks had been offered and the Canucks didn't want that because they want a young, promising center and then the possibility of a third team getting involved. And then Patrick Alvin coming out at the end of it all, in saying that he didn't get an offer and that there was one team this morning that did contact them about Miller. He didn't believe they were serious. And again, no offer. We assume it's Pittsburgh. Others have suggested that might have been Carolina. So where are we on what we know and how you think the JT Miller portion of this? And we'll go player by player because I think we, we do need to talk about Besser and Garland at, at some point here as well. But how close was JT Miller to going anywhere? Because I don't think he really ever was, even though... We all have to believe that what happened on Tuesday night or on Monday night where he got scratched and it was week to week and then maybe a week and then all it was was a game. 
you've got to believe that had something to do with this, don't you? I do. Yeah. It's, it's, I, you know, I don't deal in coincidences like that. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think we can be that gullible no, for here. sure. Um, but you know, I don't know that it was, I don't, I like, I think it was real in terms of talks with Pittsburgh. I don't know that there was ever anything as formal as what Canucks Twitter was exploding about earlier this morning. I have real doubts about whether the Penguins would have signed off, like whether ownership would have signed off on assuming a liability of that size, given how this season has gone for them. Um, But, you know, that's not based on Intel. That's just based on a, a gut read. Um, sort of awareness of how Fenway typically does business and in their other, in the leagues in which they uh, operate the other leagues in which they operate. And, and just the fact that that management group has been so embattled, um, you know, would I be surprised if a team was checking in and just like keeping tabs? No, you know, like, would I be surprised if it was Carolina? No. Um, if I was Carolina, right. Like, just like, Again, this isn't based on Intel. This is me feeling my way through or thinking my way through the the problem, right? Like if I was a team that wanted to get JT Miller, right? And had the cap space to take on the full freight of the deal or, or, or thereabouts, what would I do? I would call regularly all the time. Trade deadline day, call. Season ends, call, right? Two days before the draft call. Day before the draft call. Draft call. Just keep tabs. And then what would I do? I'd wait. I'd wait until the day before July 1st. I'd wait until June 30th. And then I'd call and I'd offer to take on the, the full freight or, or thereabouts of the deal. But I also want Niels Hoagland. <laughs> and I'm not giving you anything back. Right? And I just dare them. I just dare them to go past June 30th. Right? To where his NMC kicks in. And have that commitment. So am I surprised that there's a team that's calling? Am I surprised that it's r- rumored to be, um, you know, a, a savvy club? Uh, a club that we know likes to acquire uh, players with big tickets whose teams are looking to move those tickets, right? They did it with Brent Burns. They did. They got paid to take on Max Pacioretty. We know it didn't work out for them, but that's injury as opposed to performance. No, I'm not. That doesn't surprise me at all. Does it surprise you, Harmon? It doesn't. I mean, it, it initially did, but especially given the way Carolina operates, specifically, like I, I could understand from a different contender's perspective, but when you sort of explain it that way, that definitely lines up and makes more sense. The other part of it, too, was when the rumor came out that there were a couple of draft picks involved, or, you know, supposedly there was an offer made with a couple of draft picks in it, and the Canucks turned it down because they they wanted a young center back or something that i didn't i didn't that didn't quite work in my mind logically just in the sense that like you know if the canucks actually got picks that they could turn around and immediately flip those picks for the sort of player that they would have wanted especially because they've already shown that they've done that in the past at a smaller scale with when they got the third from hamannick immediately took the third and then flipped that for dermot right so I'm kind of with you in the sense that it didn't seem like it was that close, but overall, I think one of my big picture takeaways, at least at this juncture, is that, and I guess it's sort of, you can understand it because of where they're at now in terms of the the retool uh, and trying to 
expedite their their path to become becoming competitive. But the Canucks, like I think a lot of the fan base and in, in us are, are looking at the the contract and the potential future pain uh, of it, and we're not concerned too much about you know a specific return. We're more looking at the value of the cap space that you'd gain, and you know not having to worry about year you know next season and then all the other you know seven years after that. We view that as the sort of main benefit, whereas like the the takeaway, at least from a lot of the reports that have come out, you know, from my perspective, is that it seems like the Canucks, at least now, maybe it changes and and their mindset, you know, uh, evolves as we head closer to when they're locked in. They don't seem like they're looking to just dump the contract for nothing, right? That's and that's going to be interesting because I don't know if a team at the draft, for example, is it going to come to you and offer you a lot of, uh, offer you a lot of assets. So what happens now? Do we, do we expect this saga to continue right up until July 1st? Or do you think there's any level of closure? Because I still, you know, you, you wonder about where Miller was at a couple of weeks ago and he was insistent that he wasn't going to get traded, but we also understand what happened on Monday when he had to sit out of the lineup. So, do we think this conversation continues right through until July 1st now? I think this conversation is never going away. I think JT Miller is going to be a Canuck and at every crucial deadline and draft and pressure point, we're going to be inundated with these rumors. Like I, wow. I legitimately, even when, he, I, even when he's got an NMC, you said like for me, I think yeah. if we get to July 1st. I think if we get to July 1st, we're probably not having this conversation for another three years unless he wants out. Well, but I mean, but I mean, people are always going to wonder and people are going to hear stuff and there's going to be, Adler, will he wave? Yeah. Oh, that's exactly Whoa. right. Harmon. That's exactly right. That was, Especially that was at the end though. That was at the end. This is seven years. Okay. I know, but, but you're still going to get there. You're still going to get there particularly in particularly because, you know, I like, I think there's a chance that the Canucks make the playoffs next year. Just to be clear, like I, I think, yeah, I'm with chance, you. I think there's a chance their bet works. Um, LA hasn't progressed as much as I expected them to, and at this point, you know, I think they're going to need like a, a more dynamic star level forward this summer uh, before I'm on the like LA is not catchable bandwagon. You know, I, I think they're good. Uh, particularly the fact that they've been able to do this despite their issues in goal is impressive, but zero goal differential, um, you know, Byfield hasn't exactly uh, trended in a way where I'm like scared <laughs> about the Kings rebuild the way I thought I might be uh, 16 months ago. Like they kind of need to get back on track for me. I know they've had success, but I'm looking at the fundamentals of like, can they win a cup? And I don't know that they've taken as many steps in fact, it looks to me like they've sort of stalled a bit on from a from a like buying stock on them as a contender perspective. Seattle, I think, has work to do. Like, I think it's fascinating that Seattle didn't buy today, uh, but I think that shows you what Ron Francis thinks, right? Like, I don't think they felt that this was the season to push chips into the middle. And by the way, I don't think they're wrong. Calgary is a complete wild card. Edmonton and Vegas are sort of the two teams that I'd confidently say I expect to finish ahead of the Vancouver Canucks next season. And last I checked, there's three playoff spots in the, in the Pacific, you know, like Anaheim's going to get better fast, but as fast as next season, eh, right. And, and look, the Canucks have two massive 
issues that have crushed them this year or three. I'm going to go with three. PK one, right? Two, goaltending's been league worst. And three, all non-Quinn Hughes minutes at five on five, right? Like this team is plus 19 with Quinn Hughes on the ice in about a thousand minutes, five on five. That's really good. That's like really good, right? But in the 2000 minutes that Quinn Hughes is on the bench, they've been outscored by 43. That's devastating. That's Anaheim Ducks territory, right? How do you fix that? Well, Heronic, if Heronic can eat up another of those thousand minutes and you're like zero, like not even positive goal differential in those minutes, just zero or even like minus five, man, that goes a long way. Like that plus going from worst in the league goaltending to just average, which I believe you can do if you get a healthy Demko for even 55, 60 games. I mean, that's the profile of a team that doesn't need that much to go their way to sneak in. So I'm, I, I actually am not like... Boy, the, all- dunk, the, the dunk factor... Dunk, the- Sorry, you're cutting out, and I'm sure you had a good line. Sorry, you cut out there. We missed all of it. No, I'm just saying the amount, the amount of dunking you're going to take from the VIPs a year from now... Can you hear me now? Well, but like any better? Yeah, no, I can hear you now. The amount of dunking that I'm going to get, I'm going to be Frederick Weiss. I get it. Um, here's the thing, though, right? Like, oh my god, yeah. Like in a year from now, my goodness. But you know that may happen. That could happen. I probably will be fading it, <laughs> depending on how they fill out the roster. But that could happen. I, I absolutely. I'm I'm not proclaiming their goal of making the playoffs next year a failure on its own merits this far in advance. I need to see what they do. I need to see what their competitors do. But but what I am going to fade is that the cost of doing that is going to prevent this team from taking the sort of, you know, more meaningful leap forward three years from now that I think is what this club should be aiming for, right? So it's, you know, this team can get in and win around by taking this approach. I've I've sort of always covered this team's short-sighted moves with that perspective in mind, right? This Let's can work if your goal is to make the playoffs. This team hasn't had it work, but it could. The problem is, is it caps out what you can be in terms of making real noise, in terms of really building one of those durable every-year playoff teams that has a realistic shot of winning a cup. Hello, it, Miller. Go ahead, Arm. Sorry. It like raises your fl- floor, but lowers your ceiling. Exactly. That's exactly the right way of looking at it. So we talked a bit about Miller and what happened there. Let's talk a bit about Brock Besser. So look, this has been an ongoing saga for the last couple of months, almost three months now. They couldn't get him moved. If ever a forward could walk into a press conference room, if we had a press conference room, uh, actually we did have a temporary one, um, and say my contract sucks, it might be Brock Besser. So, you know, I certainly believe we're going to continue that conversation for quite a period of time here because obviously the player wants to get moved. Uh, the club shows no appetite for retaining, which I think is great. I mean, you know, we know they're going to wind up buying out OEL and that's going to cost them for years to come. The fact that they don't want to retain on Besser, I think, is a good move. I think it's a disciplined move. But we are going to continue to have that conversation. So what happens now? Like, how do you build any level of of value in this player. Like how critical is the next six weeks the, the, or the final two months of the season here 
this club needs to do everything they can to rebuild that guy's value so they can move him this offseason. For sure. And I think a big part of it's interesting because when you look at Besser's individual sort of production this year, this year and sort of parse it out at five on five in terms of his overall points, he's actually on one of the highest you know, paces of his career. It's really been the power play where he's dropped off a lot compared to last season uh, where he was sort of the regular there. So down the stretch, I think he needs to be a key part of power play one and that has to be a, a significant part of juking his value. The one thing I will say is I'm honestly not too surprised that he didn't get dealt despite all the, the smoke around him just because at the deadline, and I've made this point before, and I know Drance, you have to for teams, it's tough to take on contracts beyond that last beyond the season with big tickets until they have clarity on what exactly their cap situation looks like beyond, um, you know, beyond the season, right? Like teams have to go through like and see how they fare in the playoffs. They have to sort of, they're not in a position to know what their RFAs are going to cost, what UFAs they might keep. They're not in a position to understand what pieces they might move out. And, and you don't want to be in a position given how difficult it was to move salary out last offseason where you've prematurely acquired a player like a Besser or a Garland and you go, well, actually we needed to upgrade our blue line as well. Or this RFA negotiation looks like it might be headed to arbitration and it's going to cost us more than we thought. So for all those reasons, I actually thought that, you know, a lot of this business might have to be handled in the offseason. And it's what I asked Alvin after the Horvat trade was, directly that was in terms of the moving money out and moving money out. And this conversation also extends to player like Tyler Myers. I was thought it was going to be more realistic now because of all the rumors surfacing. I figured, okay, if they retain, then, you know, that absolutely, that could open an Avenue, but um, you know, clearly Vancouver's preference is to not retain and, you know, hopefully they can get to a point where he's able to get hot down the stretch here on the, on the power play. And, um, that helps bolster his production to the point where you can uh, you can move him. The power play part is really important, right? Like, if he's part of PP1, he's going to put up goals. Like, he's going to do the sorts of things that remind people of what he can do. Um, I just don't know, you know... <laughs> I also I also have this basic belief, like, if you look at players on the Canucks who have been on the ice for goals four, right, there is such a massive gulf between players who've played with Pedersen a lot and players who have not, right? Like, with Pedersen on the ice, the Canucks are scoring an outrageous, like, four goals per hour. And all of his most frequent line mates, Mikheyev, Kuzmenko, uh, Lane Peterson, <laughs> um, and uh, and obviously Beauvillier, and to a lesser extent, but a far lesser extent, Besser have like really high goals for numbers. Now, among the players that have not been on the ice with Pedersen as much, Brock Besser has the highest goals for like he's still a useful offensive piece, whether or not he's getting credit for the goals or or the other things. Um, you know. Kuzmenko and Beauvillier have term, right? Like if the goal is to rebuild Besser's value. Uh, and considering that the team pulled off like a pretty interesting little showcase with Riley Stillman once they hired Rick Tockett, right? Which, by the way, full marks to them for, for the process indicator there. Like, Besser should go on Pedersen's line tomorrow, right? Like, 
put Brock Besser on Pedersen's line and put him on PP1. If if the goal is to make a deal or two with as little pain as possible, um, start trading Garland and Besser the way that the club did Stillman, particularly down the stretch when we know the results don't really matter. Connor Garland, speaking of, uh, probably underreported relative to all this smoke around the other guys. What do we know about how close they were there? Because apparently there were quite a few discussions around Garland very late in the game here. Yeah, I mean, I honestly don't know how... Sorry, Trance, you want to go? No, you go, you go. You sure? Yep. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how close it got, to be totally honest. Um, don't have a sense of that. My initial sense of it, though, is, and maybe maybe I'm curious to, you know, hear what you think about the strands. Garland, because of his size difference in, in terms of being a lot smaller and, um, you know, some teams having that worry about can he play on the inside and, and, and play off hockey, whether or not you believe it's justified or not, I think that immediately dissuades some teams. And I think... Like the sense that I sort of got just in general was that on a league-wide basis, just Besser seems like a more attractive chip relative to Garland. Um, And so I think Garland is a more difficult contract to move. Am I right on that? Would you disagree? I I do believe so. Also, there's an extra year of term. Yeah. And, And that's a crucial element. For sure. So I think that that really is the crux of um, crux of the issue. And I, I it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, I, I think when Rutherford first took over in this management group, looked at this roster, I think Garland was one of the first players that they looked at as we're a lot, we're a lot lower on this player than the previous management regime was. And I, I think it's a sentiment that's pretty commonly shared around the league. Now, I'm sure there are more analytically savvy organizations that see more value in him than, uh, than other organizations. But I'd argue that that's more the exception than, than the rule. And so I, I don't know how this is going to play out to be, to be totally honest. Um, sorry. I want to, I want to just point out one thing cause we got a really good uh, text that I wanted to laugh at um, and not laugh at like laughing at the, the comment. I thought it was a good comment and I wanted to share it. From Rohan K, who's a, a regular in these rooms, and, and we love you, Rohan. On the topic of dunking, do people not understand how much I w- want to be dunked on for being wrong about the pessimism on this franchise? <laughs> I love that text so much, right? Like, it's, who cares? Who cares if I'm wrong? Let's have some fun hockey. It was fun down the stretch when they kept winning under Boudreaux. And I was wrong. I mean, I I didn't expect that stretch to continue the way it did. I left that team for dead so many times, and they just kept coming. That's great. Let's have that again. Let's go. Who cares? Who cares if I'm right or not? Except me, deeply. <laughs> <laughs> the one the one move they did make was Curtis Lazar, and you know both the, the Lazar move and the Stillman move. It they can say that it helped us move money, but it really didn't, right? I mean, I think. Alvin himself said that he was impressed with what Neil Zaman had done and his limited sample size and thinks that that could be a, a better look for their fourth line. You know, this was a player that they thought would come in here, a legitimate right-handed center, probably played more on the wing. I wasn't really an effectively killer. And we, we've seen him 
play well in Boston and and raise his game in higher stakes and in better situations. And I have no doubt he's going to be good for New Jersey in the playoffs in whatever small role that he's going to wind up getting. But it was the one move they made. The fact that they're able to, you know, Stillman was their guy. Lazar was their guy. And while we kind of feel deep down that they just don't want to admit a mistake on the Miller contract by moving it for no tangible value, with these smaller deals, they seem to be comfortable just kind of moving on from it quickly. Yeah, the, the leverage is way different, though, right? It's one thing to yeah. it's one thing to look at a situation like Lazar and go, it didn't quite work out. And to be totally clear, I like the signing when it initially uh, happened, where it was like, okay, he's a right shot centerman, which right off the bat they don't really have uh, any of. He'd improved his ability to win draws. He had been a regular contributor to a Bruins penalty kill that was pretty consistently top 10 in the NHL. So you looked at Vancouver's PK, which was 32nd. You look at the fact that he was only a $1 million cap hit. Local BC kid, great character, salt of the earth sort of guy. Checks all of those sorts of boxes. And you, you would have thought on paper that's a great fit. But he comes here and for starters... You know, early in the season, he couldn't win a draw shorthanded, and they just got pummeled on the penalty kill when he was in on the ice. So clearly, wasn't the solution there. It was kind of a black hole offensively, surprisingly. Uh, I mean, that part's not surprising, but more so than uh, I think we even anticipated. And then he ended up mostly playing at wing. So that was, a, you know, a good piece of work by the Canucks to quickly move on and and trade the trade the fourth uh, or acquire and, and bring in the fourth round pick. Um, really quickly, by the way, Rohan, whose texts are obviously standing out to me, notes about um, Besser on PP1 and uh, line line one. He says an F ton this season. I hate this myth, and they haven't that they haven't tried to put him there. I just want to point out a couple things really quickly. Um, Besser has spent 170 minutes five on five with Elias Pettersson. He's spent by comparison 350 with Bo Horvat and. Sheldon Dries, right? Um, in contrast, Andre Kuzmenko has 542 minutes with Elias Pettersson, right? So he's logged three times the amount of ice time um, with with 40 than, than six has. Um, additionally, Kuzmenko's ice time on the power play is like 150 minutes with PP1, like with Pettersson. And for Besser, the number's in the 60s. So again, two and a half times more. Um, Besser has gotten shots there. Don't get me wrong, but it's been few and far between. Like he's not been a regular there. And I think it juices production significantly. Like, I think if you're all in on the next two seasons and you've already locked up Kuzmenko, like what's the harm? What's the harm in seeing if you can boost Besser's value by putting him on Patterson's wing and giving him the Lane Peterson treatment. Anyway, um, should we go to the stage and take a few? And then, yeah, I don't uh, think they're going to move Kuzmenko. You think there's a chance they move Beauville to the stage? No, no. Sorry, it, a, after the season? I was talking Besser there, sorry. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm just going to open the stage. Rohan's first up. This is the Rohan show this tonight. Rohan, ask your question. Tony, you're also up on the stage. Just bear with us while we uh, while we let Rohan get his is get his in. I know you guys are both regulars, so you know this can be wonky. So thanks for bearing with me. Um, okay, so I think this question is probably going to be mostly for Harmon. Um, but when you kind of go through the needs of our roster, um, we need two top four matchup type D Horvat replacement, like a PKing matchup type three third line center, whatever. Um, I was curious if you look at the college ranks and also in Europe, if there are any standout names where you think that there's a chance we could pull someone who could fill like an actual important role in the roster. Cause I don't think we have like the flexibility or the assets to really be active in free agency or in the trade market. So yeah, that's my question. It's a really good question. I honestly haven't yet looked at like I usually after the deadline and going close to the end of the season, start looking deeply into the, into the college ranks. I mean, there are a couple of intriguing right shot D coming out of the NCAA um, that the Canucks have been sort of linked to here and there, but I don't think that they're going to be immediate sort of difference makers. Trenter, are you more familiar with Europe and NCAA and potential freebies and the types of, and whether any of them could be impact Kuzmenko-like pieces? I can tell you this. I think they love Philip Johansson. Like, I wouldn't be stunned at all to see Philip Johansson get a long look in terms of playing uh, on the NHL roster, Niels Amon style next season. Like he's the guy who I think is the most likely, like far more likely than Aiden McDonough. You know, like I even think when Alvin and he alluded to it today, met with McDonough and the family, like, you know, they really want him to be like a signature piece in Abbotsford for a bit, right? Like really learn the pro game first is my understanding. Um, You know, guys like Jake Livingston, to me, that's like a perfect guy to go to the American League. Um, you know, I don't know that there's any like impact NCAA guys, um, year one guys anyway. Uh, I would sort of lean no. Like I would lean no based on what I what I know of the NCAA class, and I don't know Europe nearly as well. So I, the other the, I the would other thing Simon to- was an impact guy the year one either. Right. Like we'll see. Uh, once we saw him at training camp, though, like once we saw him in the Okanagan, a eh, Harmon, we were like, this guy's got NHL wheels. Like there, there's a chance that this guy's a, yeah. a real pro. So we'll know quickly once we see them. Um, but we didn't. We, I, I don't know in advance. So, yeah. So I think with depth roles, like with Oman, like you can clearly sort of if you've got good scouting talent, you can sort of find and pluck those guys and be able to immediately airdrop them in. But. I think Rohan was was asking about some of these premium sort of like top four D positions and potential three C like for those premium sort of players for a player to have that sort of impact, 
you'd be looking at an extremely highly coveted Kuzmenko type player where it's not just that you'd have to identify the player, but then you're in a bidding war with probably more than half the league if that's the sort of caliber that's a free agent. And if you'll remember, there were a ton of teams sort of interested in Kuzmenko and the Canucks sort of had to win those sweepstakes. So it's not just then for some of these higher end impact guys, it's not just finding them. It's then, all right, we've got to be the one that actually wins these wins the sweepstakes. It's a good point. All right. Thanks, Rohan. Good question, man. And and good commentary, by the way, Rohan. Thanks for being the star of this show. Uh, Tony Y, you on the stage still? Uh, yeah. Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Hey. Yeah, we can. And thanks for bearing with us when we had the tech glitch, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, what do you want to talk about? Yeah. So um, disappointing week, but um, would love to turn the page a little bit. And, um, you know, as much as I, you know, hate, hate myself, I probably will still remain a, a fan of this team for, for the rest of my life. So um, I'm wondering, like, what um, what do you guys think is like the 80th, you know, to 100th percentile outcome of like what this team can be in like the next call it like three to five years if you know a bunch of things go our way with with the way um the the management team is uh you know trying to build this team hd you want to take first stab sure yeah three to five years is a long time so right off the bat i mean 100 percentile you'd be looking at really like really really improbable things happening like you'd have to I mean, if if you were if you're talking about like a hundred percentile, for example, you'd be look, looking at so many things going right to the point where yeah, you could probably contend for a cup. More realistically, if you're looking in the let's say like eighty to ninetieth percentile out, out, well, sort of like outcome, I think you'd be looking at a team that is sort of like maybe in the playoffs one year, maybe out the next year, in the playoffs one year, out the playoffs the other, and then in one of those years where they make the playoffs, they luck maybe they, you know, have a Demko like heater or things go really uh go really well for them. Maybe the Western Conference is is weak and they sort of have like a bubble run, right? Where they go really deep into into the second round sort of thing. Or um I, I think that's the sort of you know, what I'd be projecting for the 80, 80 to 90th um, percentile outcome. I know it's, it's really tough to, to project that three to five years out, especially with so many unknown variables, but that's sort of my guess. Yeah, m- my concern is, like, I have this view that if you're trying to win the Stanley Cup and you go and do a Toronto or a New Jersey or you know, a, a San Jose Sharks and you get like everything right process wise, like you might not win a Stanley Cup. The San Jose Sharks over like, I think still to this day, the San Jose Sharks are the most successful regular season team of the hard cap era. And we all know what the Sharks don't have, right? Like if your goal is the mountaintop, you still might not get there because the NHL is brutal. It's such a cruel league. And my worry is if you're trying to design a team and, and here's an example for you. I always saw Mark Bergevin's Montreal Canadians as a team built for the playoffs, right? Like they had all those tough guys and defensive defensemen, and they were so built to be an annoying opponent opponent in round one that they only made it like half the time. 
because they weren't really built to be great. They weren't built to be a, a great team. So I always think in hockey, there's so many variables. It's so hard to like reach your goal a hundred percent. If your goal is the absolute top, you might not get there, but you're probably going to make the playoffs every year. If you get to a point where you've, you know, done, done everything right and had a good process and, you know, found the right superstars and built through the draft and kept cap flexibility and, and built a good blue line and on and on. Doesn't guarantee you a cup. If you try to build a team to make a Cinderella run, my worry is that you only make it every now and then. And so my, my sort of concern for the Canucks, right? My like, even my high end outcome is like, yeah, maybe they went around or even two one year. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's Bergevin's Habs, right? Where you even make it to the cup final one year and barely win a game, but you'll know the whole time, the whole way through. It might be like, hopefully it's fun because you'll know the whole way through. You're not really a contender. Um, does that make sense to anybody? Does my Bergevin was a team built so well for the playoffs that they didn't always make it thing? Is that like offensive, Harmon? Does that make sense? No, it definitely does. Clearly, I mean, with the way they had like Deneau, right? As like that's that's <laughs> kind of the identity, right? Like knowing really tough to score on, but you need the horses to actually get into the postseason every year. Especially when like when you have a goalie like Carey Price, it's like there there were they had the archetype of a team that can like if everything gets if everything is clicking, they can get hot, but you have to get there first, and they then always consistently make the playoffs year in and year out. Yep. All right, um, let's go to Jakob. Hopefully he gets on stage. Jakob, what do you want to talk about, my friend? Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Can you guys hear me fine? We can. Hey, awesome. Uh, first of all, before I get to my uh, comments here, uh, Drance, uh, do you think the Canucks are going to lock you out of the arena after that press conference? Man, you were... You were asking some fantastic questions, and obviously everybody else was as well. But man, you really stood up for uh, for that, and I really appreciate that as a fan of not just uh, the Canucks, but just in general, just to go out and and ask some of the questions that needed to be asked. And uh, that's just my first little comment here. So well, uh, and let me let me answer it before you go on, Jacob, and and I won't put you from the stage. You'll have a chance to still answer your question. First of all, like I thought I was professional, like I thought I was politely asking fact-based questions. Um, you know, and I thought they were questions that needed to be asked and I respect when Patrick Alvine hangs in there. You know, I feel a real sense of obligation considering the tone with which I cover this team to be present. Right? Like I'm always there, right? Like I can't always go to practices if they're on at the same time as my radio show, but I'm there on a game night. Uh, if I write something that I think is particularly scathing, if I have a particularly scathing, um, you know, radio segment, like I, I make sure I'm there the next day because if anyone wants to call me out, if anyone wants to talk, it's important to me that they know that I'm showing my face, that I'm there. I'm available to be taken aside and, and spoken to. I'm accountable for what I write and say about the team. Uh, but, you know, those were questions I felt needed to be asked considering how different Vancouver's actions were at the deadline from all the other teams around them in the standings. And, you know, I appreciated uh, Patrick's answers. I thought he hung in there and did his best to clarify some of what I, I was asking for. Uh, I thought it was actually pretty revealing. And and look, I'm, I mean, I, I did that during the gym era. I'm going to keep doing that. I think it's important. And uh, so I appreciate your commentary, but that's just uh, my two cents on it really quick. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully you didn't, I didn't take that as a shot or anything. Actually, no, I like, didn't. Uh, oh, okay, great. Um, so 
my comment here. So I have two things. Uh, the first thing is I noticed he kept on mentioning uh, being compliant with the cap. I think he said it like three different times during the interview. When I hear when I hear that, like I immediately go, okay, they're solving the cap issues by buying out. And and I just I just if you're gonna go the direction of retooling and you're gonna go buy out players, then you better be 100% sure you're using that cap space on someone that is the legitimate upgrade in a desperate need of this team moving forward. Because if you, let's just say potentially like they buy out Oliver Ekman Larson, you'll save a lot of cap early on. It'll hit us later on, but the cap will go up. If you don't follow that cap up with actually signing or at least trading for a player that has more of a cap hit, but is fits a need, then you're doubling down on that problem. And uh, my second comment and my last comment here is uh, the only thing like other than that I didn't like is the fact that they, they kept on mentioning next year just to make the playoffs as their expectations. I, I don't know, man. Like I, I feel like when you when you listen to a guy like Steve Eiserman and you listen to some of the best general managers or presidents in the in the league, all they talk about 24-7 is about the Stanley Cup. They, they don't they don't even mention the playoffs. I don't even remember the last time they mentioned the playoffs. Even Steve Eiserman today, he's like, we're not here to just make the playoffs and get killed. We're here to win a Stanley Cup. So the fact that they keep on doing it is, I thought it changed, but it looks like it's that part is a little bit more of the same. And uh, you, I don't want to get into it more why I think that, but that's my comments. And uh, yeah, great, great show, guys. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks, Jacob. I, I agree. I mean, I remember asking Benning over Zoom during the 2021 season, like, why is the cup never something we talk about? Why is that not the goal? And this organization across multiple management groups, you know, has always been lowering the bar, right? Meaningful games in March and on and on. And and here's another one. Anything is possible. Well, Noah, here's another one. We're going to be cap compliant. Like, yeah, of course obviously. They are. The legal obviously, it, 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 The rules require it. Like, that's like saying we're going to be a team. <laughs> like we're we're going to exist on opening day. Like yeah, we know. Um are you using the cap system to your benefit? Are you creative in using it? And like look, fans in this market, especially those who've been, you know, watching since 2010, 2011, like most of the most of the cap tricks that we see, the Kucherov thing, it's like Vancouver did that first with Edler. Right? Like the the weird assignments on opening day, it's like Vancouver did that first. Like oh, the way we talk about hockey from a cap perspective with the level of detail, like that all comes from here. This is the city for it. Um, so yeah, I mean, compliant is not anything. It, it, it that's meaningful games in March. Like the so question for cap management isn't, are you going to be compliant? It's, are you doing smart things to avail yourself and take advantage of the NHL system? So let's say they have the one buyout with OEL. And that they find a way to rid themselves of either one of Garland or Besser. Where does that put them? Can they meaningfully add a piece? Or is what we see what we're going to get next September? They'll be able to add if they if they do those things, right? That carves out a significant amount of space, especially in OEL bio, potentially. In that case, OEL bio you're... OEL them $8 million next year, correct? No, seven. Cause, seven. Because um, Arizona retained, oh, right? They retained, so, of course. Yes. Yeah. So it's about seven. Um, obviously, like, look, look, if you wait until Myers's bonus is paid out and attach like a mid-round pick to it, you can you can peddle that deal to Arizona. 
right? Like, I, I mean, there's a chance you can trade it for value, but worst case scenario, you attach a mid round pick, that's six million. You buy out Oliver Ekman Larson, that's 13 million, right? Um, depending on whether Pullman or Pearson go on L- LTI or both, right? Like, there's a world where both go on LTI. Now we're talking about 19 million. I'm right? surprised to see Pullman today on the ice, in fact. Me too. But, like, you know, put those put those four things together, and we're talking about, you know, what, 19 million? So, say Pearson can play. Hopefully he can. I would be devastated for him if this was how it ended for him, considering all that he's accomplished in his career, considering what a stand-up duty is. Um, you know, hopefully it's like 16 million there. And then, you know, a Besser trade, a Garland trade, though that's kind of gravy, right? Or maybe it's like a Besser trade to a team that has like a defenseman you like, but that they view as inefficient, right? And it's 2 million in savings or one and a half million in savings. And that, and that's the money you have to flesh out your roster. You don't need a lot of forwards, although man, should they be prioritizing a middle six center in my view? Like you should probably be talking to JT Comfer when the market opens in my view, and then you can probably add a defenseman or two, right? Like maybe you're chasing a Carson Soucy or, or something like that, right? Uh, a Brian Dumoulin. Doesn't that feel inevitable considering that he was the guy that picked the Canucks jersey off the uh, ice, the jersey that ended the betting tenure? Um, Dumoulin? Yeah. Like oh, Dumoulin, he's washed. I know, but a Dumoulin-Heronic second pair just feels so right to me. Like, I'm not saying, I'm not advocating for it, Harmon. I'm, I'm just forecasting. I was looking um, at the Milstein. Isn't isn't uh, Gavrikov and oh, Milstein yeah, good, good call. Um, sure. Yeah. There's definitely going to be a lot of buzz about that, particularly given his commentary about not signing an extension. So, yes. Again, this is partly why I think you can build it. Like I think you could go get like a Comfer and a Gavrikov, and then fill out your roster with depth pieces. And what you go and and you know extend Bear, and you're looking at like Hughes Bear. You know, so let's say Gavrikov, Heronik, right? Guy, guy. <laughs> Man, you, <laughs> might, you, you might need to go cheap in, in ba- at backup. So you got Silovs as your backup or Silovs as your backup. And you're going something like Comfer, Pedersen, Miller down the middle. Although ideally you're going Miller on the wing and Ratu's capable. But, you know, with, uh, with Amon as your third line, as your fourth line guy. I mean, I don't like it. I don't, I don't think it's like great, but can you compete with, Seattle and LA if they take steps back next season if Demko's on Fuego yeah you can so yeah I mean there's ways of doing it but again what I've just laid out to you involves an OEL buyout which sucks right um, potentially a Besser deal that returns poor value um, uh, trading a pick to get off of Myers right like these are the sorts of things that you have to consider and they're not fun things right like and and you think about the free agents you would sign in those in those situations. What do, what do those contracts look like in two or three years, right? If they're long term commitments to players who are like Comfer, right? Like having a career year, Gavrikov, who's highly sought after, right? Like then you're looking at a situation where in two, three, four years, those contracts are questionable, which is ideally when you would have been pushing for a Stanley Cup. And then that's where the whole, like, are you lowering your ceiling to improve as, as quickly as possible conversation starts up again. Yeah, but for me, I mean, I see, I see Pedersen's extension. Uh, you absolutely know Ronick is, is going to get one quick, and they're not going to be in the two-year cost control position, they think, given the fact that they've got all the leverage. Uh, and, um, uh, even, you know, even Ethan Bear, right, is going to be 
uh, above four million, and it, I like I can't imagine Bovillier becomes a part of it. But I think internally they're going to eat a lot of what they could they could potentially save before they could meaningfully add. Well, and, and one one name to keep in mind is the comparable that I'd certainly be uh, mentioning if I represented uh, Hronik. And I want to say in saying this, like Alan Walsh is a lot smarter than me. Um, the name that would be on the tip of my tongue is Morgan Riley. Hmm. All right. You know, Let's I'm right, though, right, Harmon? Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know how they stack up in terms of statistical comps, but I mean... You'll look into it. You'll see it. Yeah. Um, David, we've got David on the stage. Hello. How are you? Hi, can you hear me? We can. Hi there. Sorry. I was just fidgeting with the mic button. Uh, uh, hey, guys. I, like, I love your work. Uh, I listen to you guys all the time whenever your podcasts are on. Um, I just Thanks, wanted to talk about the Heronic deal. Now, unfortunately, this is something I need to hold your feet to the fire for. Uh, this is something that's been repeated time and time again in our market that it's become a meme. And that happens to be the fact that we keep sending out second rounders in this market that go unnoticed. Nobody talks about the second rounder we set out. Uh, I don't think it was actually even mentioned by the, in the Alvin presser. Like this is going to be a top 40 pick this year. That's like a pseudo first rounder. So my question to you is why do you think this always goes under the radar in this market? Uh, and a follow up. Do you have any prospects that you were eyeing in this projected range? If we would have kept that pick. Good questions, man. You're right. You're right. It's basically like a contender's first rounder. Right? Like, it's like Boston's first rounder. There's not a huge gap in value. Um, we should talk about it more. It's a, it's a massive asset. Uh, there's a lot of players that I like that I think will go around there. Etienne Moran is a big two-way lefty out of the queue uh, who I really like. I like the statistical profile. I saw him at the Prospects game. I really liked him. Tanner Molendyke is a guy who I think like, in the... Uh, not He doesn't have the same counting stats. I don't think he's as high-end a prospect from an offensive standpoint, but his skating is so sick. He's such a good puck mover. And like, he's going to be a tough minutes top four guy. Like I'm so sure of it is a guy from Smither. Uh, I think it's Smithers uh, named Tanner Mullendyke. Uh, I think he'll go in and around that range. He's a guy I really like. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of guys who are listed right now. Like if I say their names, you're going to be like, that guy's a first rounder, but a lot of those guys end up going, you know, 38, right? Like that's, that's how the draft works. So there's a lot of names that I could throw at you. Like even a Lucas Dragasevich who, you know, you'd be like, ah, I don't know. Like, I don't think that guy's necessarily going to be uh, available, but he might be. Uh, so you're right. That's a really good pick. Um, let's go to Bradley P. You know, uh, two things. Uh, well, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, first thing, I wish I had the amount of money that Aquilina sorry, Aquilini does, that I can keep blowing it year after year and to be a bottom, you know, five team. Who boy. Um, that aside, my, my, I guess not so much a question, but something I just wanted to maybe throw out there is I don't think as an organization, we actually have the confidence to do what we need to do. Um, and, you know, because if you, you're in the position that we're in, we could easily get, you know, a handful of picks and, you know, attack the draft, you know, attack, uh, you know, 
college, uh, European. And I know they kind of go after that, but you know, those are free plays that, you know, don't really cost much, but we just don't go after it the way that someone like Steve Eiserman or, you know, even the predators or maybe Washington, you know, these other guys, you know, they look around and say, you know what, we can, we're, we're confident enough in our organization that we're going to get the guys that we need to fill this out as opposed to taking the safe, easy, as uh, I think Torres <coughs> uh, used to say, uh, you know, safe as death and just get, you know, that guy who's already uh, an established player as opposed to, you know, really mining out that next guy that, you know, might be the late first round, might be the end of the second round, but, you know, you'll turn out and be like, hey, you know, that's your Pavel Datsuk guy that we really do need if we're going to take that next step unless we're going to win the, the lottery, but we know how that works. So anyhow, that is just where, I, where I, I'm looking at it. I just, I think it's more of a confidence thing and it's just easier to grab an established guy than, you know, explain that you can get confident. So that, that's, where, that's where I'm at, just as an observation. Thanks, Bradley. Yeah, Harmon, any thoughts on this? I, it's it's a bit of a, an aside, um, but it's sort of, you know, I guess it, it's not directly related to the confidence side of things, but I think it's an important thing to sort of bring up in this con- in this conversation about the teams in this management group's overall strategy is, okay, so they, they're clearly prioritizing being competitive as soon as next season, right? Um, you and I have consistently said that they should take a longer term view and prioritize trying to build an actual elite team. The counter argument that I think has consistently been coming up is, well, with Pedersen and Hughes, you can't afford to be bad for another like four years. Right. And I think this is where we probably need to do a better job of sort of emphasizing that we're like, it doesn't need to be two extremes in terms of like a, we, where you either push your chips in now or you're rebuilding for five for five years and you're in the cellar for half a de- for another half decade. I I legitimately like think that within like two years, like if you're patient and we're just in a position where you're not prioritizing making the playoffs this year next, that you could have that you in two years then be in a position to aggressively add and turn it around that you would have accumulated enough things like, and, and Grant, I'd love you to sort of expand on this, but quickly to, to bring up, let's imagine the Canucks had sort of like kept this, kept this Islanders pick, you know, kept their own second this year. Then they're going in, they have seven, seven draft picks. They would have had in, in the first four rounds, never had that in franchise history. They brought in Rod Hughes another prospect. And let's say at the draft or, or even at this deadline, they find a way to unload offload Miller for any, right? Like just to get the contract off the books, have that cap flexibility for down the road. Then in two years, you would have had a scenario where it's like Myers is eventually off the books. Besser and Garland have a lot less term on, on their deals. So it's like mm. you can start moving those guys out and actually get actual value back as opposed to teams looking at it and going, well, there's three years left on this contract. I like the player, but the term scares me. Um, you would have then been in a position to be able to hopefully like within those two years, you would have taken on instead of spending your cap for win now pieces, like like taking on extra first or second round picks to take on bad contracts temporarily, you, you would have had maybe like one or two years where you're in the basement again and you would have had those high draft picks. And then in two years, then you can start like 
timing your window and trying to make heroic like moves where you're maybe because you've had such an excess of draft capital start cashing that in and then taking that aggressive step. Like, I think it's also important when we talk about this sort of um, alternate of what should the Canucks maybe have done instead, emphasize that it didn't have to be this like, you're bad forever sort of thing. You know what I mean? Well, I agree with that. Like, I, you know, you can be good in my view. Like you can try to be good at the edges without compromising your, your upside. You know, like in my view, there's ways to be competitive fast. This is what we used to talk about with the Panthers model, right? Where like you find a bunch of depth contributors who are, no risk or low risk. Now it's a little different because of how extreme the market was in the fall of 2020. They, they took advantage of a pretty unique circumstance, but I still think you can find good value. I still think you could have sort of approached things in a way similar to what you're talking about without necessarily being like, and we're going to be bad for three years. You know, like you definitely had to be bad for the rest of this year, but I don't think that needed to, I don't think you needed to go into the off season being like and white flag on next season. I just think you had to be really circumspect about the commitments you were making uh, and really protective of developing a prospect system. I mean, I look at Minnesota who bought at the deadline today and look at what they paid and look at how they bought at the deadline too. Um, there's ways to have a, to, to sort of chart a middle course that's still future forward. What the Canucks have done is like really de-emphasize the sustainability aspect of team building. And and that to me is where, you know, their, their moves have, have gotten really reckless. All right. We've got people keep putting their hands up, but I have to go, like I have to go eat dinner. I have to go do my um, finish my column and interact with my editor and stuff. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. We'll do this again soon. We love the response. I know it's an emotional day, but I I do have to run. So I'm going to end it there. We've been going for just a little bit over an hour. Uh, but thanks to everybody who raised their hand. I'm sorry we couldn't get to you all. I'm sorry we weren't as organized as pulling a, a, putting a cutoff on it as we usually do. And thank you for discussing the deadline with us. It's been a fascinating, emotional week for Canucks fans. And, you know, I just hope that what we see next, like, first of all, we're going to go into an offseason where clearly the organization's goal is to win. So that lets us talk hockey this summer, which is going to be fun. Like, it's it's going to be simple hockey talk. Um, I'm sure we'll lament some of the pain uh, of what the Canucks do. Hopefully they don't do something too extreme beyond Heronic, but um, <clears throat> at least it's going to be fun. And then hopefully next season, we at least get like meaningful hockey into December. Like hopefully this team <sighs> has the competitive juice to actually, um, you know, give us, give us some fun times uh, next season, considering how important, how all in the team effectively is on the 2023-24 season. And let's see, if we can add, let's see if we can add some good guys because we, we've lost the last of the good guy factor in that locker room, right? Because as I said to Bruce on our Trade Center coverage, they gave up Bruce, they gave up Bo Horvat, they gave up Luke Shen, and they gave up Curtis Lazar. The three of us are still there, which pretty much says we're not that good. So uh, if you're if you're harm, you know, and you're a good guy, like be aware because you might be out of town pretty quick, my friend. <laughs> well, thankfully, I'm not employed by the Canucks, so. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, Drancher's still here. I'm still here, so we'll, uh, we will leave that there. But listen, uh, Harm and I are going to be back uh, early next week for the next episode of the VanCast. We're going to do that on Monday. 
So be sure to choose. Monday? Are you sure Monday? Sorry, Monday's game day. Tuesday. On Tuesday. You're, my mistake. Yeah, Monday's game day. We'll do it on Tuesday. And um, uh, we'll get we'll do another live room before the end of the month for sure. So it's been a lot of fun, as always. Thanks to the VIPs. We will uh, check in with you all next week. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Bye. Thanks. Thanks.